This morning we are in Philippians 2, and we're going to do a whopping two verses. It's going to be a lot of fun, right? Oh, come on, you should. Oh, yeah, I guess she's look, she just looks up at me and goes, kids, you are dismissed for class. So while they're leaving, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Philippians, like I said. You might remember in chapter 1, Paul really talks about the Philippians. He uses words like, I thank my God every time I think of you. Things like, you've been such a blessing in my life. And there's so much joy that's coming out of him about the people that he just loves. And he gets to a point where he's almost gushing over these people. And he prays for them in verse 1, uh, or chapter 1, verse 9. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness through, uh, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And the great thing about scriptures, the great thing about these words that are coming uh, to us today is they were written to the Philippians, but they're also for us today. That our love may abound more and more in depth of insight. This is what the Lord wants for our lives. And then he goes on and, and, um, and, he, and he's talking about things that are, that are going on in his life that would cause uh, most people stress. And I don't know about you, but, you know, here's Paul. He's confined. He's a prisoner. He's literally strapped to, you know, or, or, or coupled to another guard all day long. Um, and, about, and he's talking about how Jesus has changed his life and how it affected him. He even gets to a point where he's talking to Caesar, who is considered, you know, he considers himself Lord of everything, which he's not. But here, Paul is, is talking to Caesar, and he, and he told us that he wasn't afraid. Paul seems to, at some points, to, to have no fear because he's worked through these things. In fact, in verse 21, he says, For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. He basically says, I can do this. No matter what happens in my life, I can get through this situation. What do we do? That's a good question. What do we do when we get hit? I mean, stuff happens every day. Whatever's going on, he wants us to conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy. Our reactions have to start changing, don't they? how we react to everyone, how we react to certain situations. And we begin to be challenged by God. And God goes, Alan, how are you going to react to this situation? Are you becoming like me more and more each day? These are good, hard questions for us to, to think about. Then we get into chapter 2, and he starts talking about, about how relationships matter. Paul says to the Philippians, you know, in verse 2, he goes, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, 
but each of you to the interests of others. This is the opposite of the culture that Paul lived in. And it's the opposite of the culture that we live in on a day-to-day basis. Our culture says we have to fight for everything. You know, we got to fight for ourselves. We got we to we jump in there and we got to just grab and get a hold of. I mean, we're coming to the shopping season. What, what toy, what thing is going to be fought over this Christmas, you know? And, and, and really, if you just wait a couple weeks after Christmas, you'll be able to get it anyway, you know? We've been told we have to fight for our family. We, we've got to get, a, get ahead of things. We've got to be rude sometimes because rude people get it done. There's even a study that came out recently that I read about that said anger is good for getting the job done. When you get angry, you're more productive. How sad is that? I mean, if there's anything wrong, we don't need to just complain. We have to complain loudly in front of everybody. And who cares if it goes on online or, you know, what? I would say Facebook, but now it's TikTok and Instagram. And who cares if somebody films you? You just be rude anyway. Then dinner comes around, and we gather our family, and we say, let's pray before we eat. What are we teaching our kids when we act like that in public? And then we come home, and we go, well, let's gather around and pray. Our culture says we can act up. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Guys, that's the world's way of acting. That's not the Christian's way of acting. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is what we call a lifetime process. Are you better at that now than you were last week? How did you do this past week? Did you have selfish ambition? That's the question. Are we progressing? Are we moving toward Christ? Or are we rude and selfish? Or, or are those things just falling by the wayside? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to change us? Are we allowing Jesus to turn us, or the Holy Spirit to turn us into little Christ? Are we allowing Jesus to take our personality that he's given us, and praise the Lord he didn't give us all the same personality. We all have different personalities. Are we allowing that to be molded into the personality that Jesus wants us to have along with that? Can we say, I used to cope with things this way, but now the Lord has changed me, and I cope with things this way. See, we need to start acting in the way that brings the gospel, the good news, to other people. And I think we rely on our personalities to solve the problems that we face, right? We take the good things, hopefully the good things about us, and we try to use those to solve our problems. I don't think we go to God enough and say, Lord, Man, take this, this situation, this thing, this attitude, this whatever I'm dealing with, Lord, take this and help me deal with it. Because I can't handle that person very much anymore. But I think we rely on our personalities a little too much. Well, I can just solve this problem. Just let me take care of it. What really happens is, 
we're the ones that end up interfering with God. God's trying to work, and then we get in God's way because we're trying to take care of the issue. Now, last week, it was all about who Jesus was today and who Jesus will be in the future, what he gave up for us. He gave up all sorts of things. He limited himself in so many different ways to come down to this earth, to be born of a virgin, to be born as a human, and he was God. Yet he limited himself on purpose just so we could not say, you don't know what we're talking about. God knows exactly what we're talking about. And for some weird reason, he chose to live for 33 or so years. Why? Because he wanted to be tested in every way that we're tested in. He knows because he went through it himself. How were you tempted this past week? Go ahead and just tell your neighbor. Okay, maybe not. Can you envision Jesus Christ being tempted in the way that you were tempted? Because he was. We're like, no, 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 no. He's God. No, he was tempted. The scriptures are very clear about that. Jesus went through every test and every form of temptation that we would ever go through, and that way he could answer every one of them. See, I think this is in the Bible to remind us what he gave up because so often we think we're giving things up to follow Jesus. I mean, I can even remember when I finally went to my family and said, I think I'm going to go into full-time ministry. I think the Lord's calling me into full-time ministry. One of my brothers goes, you know you're not going to make any money. And he was right. You know what I'm saying? You, you understand but we think we're giving up so much, yet Jesus gave up everything. And then we get to today's scripture. Verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now look, what happens if we read the first half and just stop at the comma? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Stop. What type of salvation is that? Think about it for a second. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Hmm, I got to work through my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm stuck with this. See, this is why so many religions are about actions and our actions and not God's actions. If we stop right there, it ends up like we're working for our salvation. Like we have to, we have to work to be able to be saved. And this fear and trembling is because we don't know if we've got our salvation or not. So I have to keep working. I have to feel like I have to keep pleasing God because I'm not really sure. 
I hope I've worked long and hard enough for God's approval. And this is why there's so many Christians that I've been around feel like they're working for this approval from God. (laughs) And what a life that is. Let me tell you, religion of works will not get us to heaven. If you serve because you think that, okay, if I do this, God will reward me more. If that's the attitude, I'd rather you not serve. Because works and doing things will not get you closer to Christ. Does it make sense that we can work our, ourselves to heaven? No. I'd be lucky enough to keep working to get you know, the status quo in, much less get myself to heaven. We never fully understand who he is and what he wants in our lives if we stop at the comma. We don't continue to work out our our salvation with fear and trembling without the next part. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see, this is kind of like the... Like as a kid, you stay home. You know, I was one of those kids that my parents worked, okay? Uh, my dad had a full-time job. My, my mom ran, uh, we had a couple Hallmark stores, and, and she ran those. And, um, and so as we got older, we stayed home alone, okay? And, you know, we had a list of things that we had to do, you know, clean my room, maybe the kitchen, uh, you know, and all these things on the list that we had to do as a little kid. And you get the little check mark and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, my parents went off and, and go to work. We understand that concept, right? We all understand that, okay? Jesus says, come to me as a child. Well, does a child expect the food is going to be there on the table at night? Yeah. And dessert, of course, right? Because that should be there. You wouldn't expect a nine-year-old to say, well, I gotta, go, I gotta get up and I gotta go work my 40 hours on top of school so I can put food on the table. No. That's the parent's job, right? To work and, and try to provide and all those things. Jesus says, come to me as a child. Jesus shows up and says, I want you here going, where's my grace? Where's my mercy? It's at the table. Come eat at my table, he says. He doesn't expect us to provide the grace and the mercy and and all those. He, He doesn't want us out there working for our salvation in that sense. That doesn't get us to heaven. And we should, should come in here and relax and say, I don't have to worry about my salvation. And he goes, exactly. Now, There's a flip side of this. There's a certain amount of work needed from us, right? But it's not working toward salvation. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Well, let's figure this out. Let's look at the word salvation to begin with. Because for the 21st century, this word has several, you know, a lot of different connotations, right? And it means things to different people, different things to different people. The salvation 
for our way of thinking is a really narrow word. We usually think of events or times when we said yes to Jesus. Some of us could actually tell you the exact date, maybe even the time, and you've written it down in your Bible when you accepted Jesus. I would say show a round of hands, but we don't need to do that. Some people just know exactly when, and that is great. That is considered your second birthday where Jesus says you are born again. Some of us may know that you say, like, well, I'm a Christian. I know I accepted Jesus. I don't remember the exact date or time or when that happened. And we have both groups, and both groups are totally fine. It was an event in your life, and that's what salvation means, a recognition that Jesus is Lord of this universe and that he is in charge of your life. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. What? Well, I mean... What he means is you need to have an event in your life where you recognize that Jesus is Lord. However, this is not what Paul is talking about here. Who is Paul talking to? He's talking to the Philippians that already know God. He's not saying, oh, you got to work toward your salvation because you don't know if you're a Christian. No, he's saying, you guys are awesome Christians. Now continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. God has saved them. So what does it mean? Well, in this context, the word is a broad word, salvation. I've got several examples for, that I'm going to give you here in a, in, a, in a second to help you understand. But let's talk about our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus is that a, a daily process of becoming more like Jesus him. And it's a lifetime process. It's like marriage. Now, we have some old fogies in here, right? Can I say that out loud? Okay. You know, my wife and I, this, is, this year is our 30th anniversary. Okay. Now, when we were dating, I had red hair. Okay, if you can imagine that. Uh, my hair was kind of an auburn hair, and so was hers. Now, as we've gotten older, both of us have turned brown. I don't know why. And we thought for sure we'd have a redheaded kid, but no, we don't. Brown hair, okay? But everybody thought we were brother and sister, which is kind of weird when you think about it, okay? So we were already a lot alike, but we're very different. But as we've grown together in our marriage, we've become a lot more alike, Right? Our attitudes are usually the same. Our, our thought patterns are, are very similar. The things that we like as a family, the things that we want for our kids are, are usually somewhat the same. Now, they can vary a little bit, but, but we've, we've become one in that sense, right? This is like with Jesus. The more we're around Jesus, the more our thoughts become like his thoughts. It's a process. And if we take care of the little things, when the bigger things come along, we understand how to react, right? We react more like him. Paul is talking about this. Work out your salvation or your relationship with God with this fear and trembling. It doesn't say work out for your salvation. It says continue to, continue to work out your salvation. So what does that mean? Three word pictures in the Greek. 
And you can kind of attach to whichever one of these kind of relate to you. And they're all correct in the Greek, okay? And they all relate. This is how, how um, they were used during New Testament times in the Greek literature, okay? First, think of a math equation. Work out your salvation can be a mathematical equation because it's a mathematical word. It's like working out a math problem, right? With math, there are knowns and there are unknowns, right? And then there's results, the end product. The end product is going to be the same every time. There's only one right answer. I don't care what they're calling new math today, saying there's multiple answers. No, there's one right answer when it comes to math. There's one right answer when it comes to God, too. But that's a whole other subject. There's several ways that you can get there through that math problem. But Jesus is the way to God, okay? God is never going to give us a huge problem in life when we haven't worked out the smaller situations. Now, yeah, I got a son that in third grade, he told Lisa, can you teach me algebraic equations? So he started doing that, okay? His teacher last year or the year before, I don't know, he's doing the math stuff. They do math stuff on computers now. So, and the teacher was like, well, you're beyond what I can even do. I don't even understand. That's not my forte. I can only go up to this level because we all have different things, right? Well, you're not going to give the math problems that my older son is doing on the stuff on the computer to my eight-year-old, are you? No. Why? He hasn't gone through the process. He hasn't learned the math yet. You see what I'm saying? God's the same way. God's not going to give a huge problem in life if we haven't dealt with the small things. So say, God, teach me the small things, and that way when the big things happen, you know what to do. As we mature, we start figuring out this process. And Paul says, work out your salvation like a math problem. Sometimes this means, okay, I figured it out, and now I model this for other people. I can help teach other people. Maybe it's junior high, maybe it's high school, maybe it's an adult Bible study. I learned this, now let me teach others. In math, you do that. Once you learn the process, you start figuring out, oh, I can use the same process over here. Same technique. Now, for the non-math people, let's get away from math, right? The second Greek con- uh, concept, and some of you probably thought about this when I first said it, the, means, uh, the word means to work out, okay? What do you think that means? Well, I mean, it's obvious, right? You get fit. You get to a certain level where you're working out, and if you work out to a certain level and you stop, what happens? You become flabby again. Now, I don't like to talk about flabbiness, okay? None of us do, right? But if you start a regimen, a routine of working out, the flabbiness goes away. Your muscles stop deteriorating, right? We have to keep working out. I was around sports for a long time, okay, as an athletic trainer, sports medicine. And I would talk to different guys and come to find out you could work out at a certain level and certain intensity, and then you kind of plateau. 
You wouldn't get any fitter. You wouldn't get any bigger or anything. And you couldn't, you know, they couldn't fine-tune anything. You wouldn't tone anymore. So what they would have to do is change the technique of what they were doing, how they lifted weights or changed the weight, the style, how much they were lifting, how often they were lifting, to further in the process, to go further, to work out their salvation in a sense, just like you work out your body. Once you get to a certain level and we figure this out, hey, let me try a different technique. Let me try something else. The Lord may want, to, uh, want me to do something else because the Lord should dictate how we serve, where we serve. You know, exercise is good for our walk with the Lord, right? It's good to sweat sometimes. Not to earn something, but it's a response to our Lord. It's a response to God's saving grace in our life. It's a byproduct when we become healthy. One way to become healthy is to start serving other people. Paul likens this to working out. Those that went on the mission trip and those that helped support the mission trip and worked to, to get the mission people to go to the Philippines, that is working out your salvation. We need to get to a point where we challenge ourselves to allow the Lord to teach us in different ways. Maybe ways we haven't heard of before. To remind us of something we already knew or, or maybe just to review. And I try to, to do this through the word of God. That's me working out. That's not you working out. That's me working out, studying, right? Putting together sermons. That's me working out. What do you do with it? That's your part of working out. That's your part of learning. You need to start exercising your faith. That is you working out your salvation. Now, the third concept is one of cultivation. Gardening. Okay? Growing food. Cultivating your salvation is like cultivating a garden. You get out there in your garden, you know, and, and, or your walk with the Lord, and you get on your knees and you start pulling weeds, and you got to plant stuff, you got to turn the soil, you got to check the watering system, you got you to do all those things. Is my, is my garden getting enough water? Is my garden getting enough sun? Are there weeds I need to pull out? That is your walk with Jesus. See, salvation is a continual thing. He's continually trying to change us and mold us into who Jesus is. Now, the, the actual salvation event is different. See, the salvation event is when you recognize that Jesus is king of the universe. The salvation process is how you're being molded into Jesus. You see the, two, you see the difference between the two? Paul is using the second one, not the salvation event. So Paul is saying work out your salvation like a mathematical problem or work out your salvation like you're exercising or working out, like, uh, working out your salvation like you're tending the garden every day. Now I, now, I dare say that every one of us could relate to at least one of those, right? This is what it means to, to, to work it out, to, to go into the scriptures. And we don't want to just make up our own stuff. We need to get it from the word of God, Right? Now, why would Paul include words fear and trembling into this concept? 
Who are we afraid of? Well, sometimes we're afraid of God, right? See, sometimes our path just kind of gets ingrained into our head that I'm in charge and God's not. Now, do we want to upset the man that's in charge? (laughs) I don't want to upset God. I dare say I probably do sometimes. I know I do sometimes. Because you know when he gets home, you're going to be in trouble, right? You're going to have to deal with that. Many of us are just scared. And this is why Jesus came as a baby. This is why he chose to be one of us so we could understand that there's nothing to be scared of when it comes to God. He says, come to me as a child. When did Jesus become intimidating? He didn't. He didn't. He came to serve us. He came to us. He came to love us. He came to forgive us. And if you've ever done something really, really bad in your life, whether anyone knows about it or not, you know that God knows. And I'm telling you, if you ask for forgiveness, he will give you that forgiveness. You do not need to be scared, and you will become clean and pure just as if you walked with him from day one. This is how it works. God does not grade on a curve. He doesn't. Whether you get salvation at the very beginning of your life or at the very end of your life, if you come to him, he gives you that forgiveness and that mercy and that grace and that salvation. And if you receive him, he will accept you and become a part of your life. He says, I'm knocking at the door. All you have to do is open it. And when you open it, I'm going to come in and I'm going to become a part of your life. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to be, have a relationship with you. I'm going to drive on the freeway with you. I'm going to go to work with you. I'm going to hang around the house with you. And I'm going to try to change you into who I am if you allow me to. So what does it mean, fear and trembling? Well, I went to Amplified Bible about this. Okay, Amplified Bible takes the words and just kind of expounds on them and says, oh, it could be, here's several words that this means, okay? So one of the words is reverence or using serious caution or critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Jesus Christ. So what do we have to be afraid of? Not God. I think we should be more afraid of ourselves getting away from God. That we come in between that relationship between us and our Lord. See, the fear and trembling is, if I don't stay close enough to the Lord, then I need to start fearing what's going to happen. Because I've strayed. Because I'm going to be attacked and I have no protection. Right? If I don't stay close to God, if I stop representing him, then I'm out there on a limb. And who, who knows what can happen? And if I don't stay close to God, God can't change me. I'm going to start walking in the flesh, and I'm going to stop growing 
and I should be in fear of myself. It goes on the Amplified. It says, with serious caution, tenderness of caution, uh, conscious watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrink me from whatever might have offended God and discredit the name of Christ. See, we need to start allowing God to change us on a daily basis, one step at a time with fear and trembling, that we don't get away from God. That's where the fear and trembling comes in. To work out our salvation means to stay at it every day, every, sting, every single day. Not once a week, not once a month, not once a quarter, not once a holiday, every day. If you're on medication, you understand. You've got to take your medicine every day, right? If you don't, it can hurt you. We stop taking our medicine of God, the medicine of Christ, the word of God every day. It can be detrimental to us, detrimental to our health, detrimental to our spiritual health, detrimental to our spiritual walk. So I want to encourage you, as Paul's saying, continue to work out your salvation. Continue on that process, amen? Well, why don't you stand? We're going to pray, and Tyler's going to lead us out with one last song in the worship team. Lord, we thank you for these encouraging words by Paul. I thank you that Paul didn't come in and just slap us around and say, you, you're idiots for, for not continuing on the path of God, but instead, you, you're, you're, Paul's words are encouraging to us that we should work out our salvation with you. We should, should continue in this process. Lord, I pray you help us with this process. I pray that we allow the Holy Spirit to mold us to become more like you. And the, the, the Holy Spirit would gently nudge us towards you. And if we get off the path, Lord, we pray that we remember that you're willing to forgive and all we need to do is ask for it. Lord, we ask for forgiveness of sin, the sins that we know about and the sins that we don't. And we thank you for cleansing us that you see us differently than we see ourselves. And I pray that we do that each and every day. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may his face always turn toward you when you ask for his forgiveness and his help. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.